Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. I want to thank our generous Parsha series sponsors, Becky and Avi Katz and family in memory of David Grossman. Our learning should be Le'ili Nishmas, David Ben Menachem Manish. Today's shir is also sponsored by Yal and Avi Miller in memory of Rabbi Avram Morhaftik's 18th Yeretzai today, Yudzayin Sivan, and in memory of Meshulam Ben David, Shendel Baz David, Avner Ben Avram Akoin. May the Neshamas have an Aliyah. Thank you to all of our generous sponsors. We have the privilege this week of learning Parshas Ba'alos, page 774, in the Art Scroll Stone Chomish, Vaydaber Shema Moshe Lemor. Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, Daber al Aaron Amarte a love, speak to Aaron and tell him, When you kindle the lamps, when you kindle the menorah, the candelabra, toward the face of the menorah, the seven lamps is the way that you should light it. And there are, of course, while this Pasuk is speaking specifically about the menorah itself, this Kli of the Mishkan later of the Beis HaMikdash, there are messages, we don't have a menorah today, but the menorah stands for Torah. It's the light, the illumination, the warmth, the power, the impact of Torah. And that continues its deeper messages even today. So let's take a look at a couple of them. One of them comes from the Sefer Imros Tahoros. The Imros Tahoros is the insight of the Rachmistrifka Rebbe. I got it out okay. I'm not going to try it again. Imros Tahoros. And he says the following. Rashi's bothered. We've spoken about this many times. Rashi's bothered. Why Beha'aloscha? Beha'aloscha means, like the language, the word Aliyah. You get an Aliyah to the Torah. You step up to the Bima to get the Aliyah. You move to Israel. Not if, but when we all belong there. We will all make Aliyah. Aliyah is to go up. Ha'aloscha is to raise, to elevate, to go up. If we're talking about lighting a flame, lighting a candle, then why are we describing it as raising, as elevating, as lifting up? And Rasha gives two interpretations. One is that the candelabra, the menorah, was large. There was a platform in front of it because the Kohen had to step up on it in order to be able to reach, to be able to clean, and later to be able to kindle, to be able to light the menorah. But Rashi brings a second shot. Rashi says, Beha'aloscha, to elevate, to raise. Shetehe shalheves ola me'eleha. It means, Beha'aloscha, raise the flame. How do you raise a flame? Hold the match. Hold the candle. Hold the flame to the wick till the wick catches. And the wick flickers up on its own. That you don't have to hold it there in place. You don't have to leave it there. But when you withdraw your flame, the wick has caught fire. And now it is flickering up on its own. So that's why Baha'aloscha caused the candelabra, caused its wick, caused its flame to flicker up. Till it catches, till it's on fire, till the flame is going on its, on its own. In fact, many interpret from here, this is the mission and message of every parent. This is what Chinuch is all about. We represent a candle, a flame, and we touch our flame to the wick of our children, of our neighbors, of our friends, in order to ignite their soul on fire. Till it lifts, till it rises, till it flickers, till that flame illuminates and enlightens on its own, we can withdraw. We're no longer there, we're no longer present, but it continues, it continues to flicker, that flame continues to glow, that can, flame continues to burn bright, even on its own. Says the Imras Tahoros, In this Pasuk is an illusion, 
to the value and virtue of learning Torah every day before you go to Davin. Some people set their alarm clock, they know exactly. Nine minutes, I could brush my teeth, get dressed, make it to shul, be only four minutes late, catch the end of Karbanos. How do you talk to Hashem when you barely have woken up? The crust is still in the corner of your eyes. You've not yet really fully become conscious, and yet you're going to be talking to Hashem. How do you do that? So there's a value and a virtue, says the Rebbe, to learning Torah before you daven. Ground and center your mind. Remember who He is and how categorically different we are. Reinvest and re-engage in the relationship. And now when you have the conversation, it'll be so much more meaningful. Where is that hinted to in the Pasuk? Where do you see that in the beginning of Parshat Baaloscha? If you learn Torah and you touch that flame to that wick, then the wick of tefillah will rise, it will elevate, it'll burn, it will illuminate on its own. And that's, we know, Kinir Mitzvah, the Torah or the Pasuk in Mishle tells us that a mitzvah is likened to a candle and Torah is likened to the light. Shaidei lome Torah hua or lefnea mitzvah shua tefillah. And that's the meaning of the Pasuk. When you stand in order to daven, you want to connect, you want to be in communication, you want to rendezvous with the Divine. Turn to the menorah and hold that flame. Learn Torah. Or ha menorah hu remez or Torah. If you want the candle of tefillah to go up, you want to light that spark of davening, of genuine, authentic, meaningful conversation with Hashem, first learn. The menorah represents Torah. First engage Elmul Pnei menorah. First learn Torah. And then the Shalheves Olamei Allah. Then it'll flicker up or you'll be able to have a conversation. All of this is a shameless plug for the Kola Boker. We're in the second week of the Kola Boker. It's going phenomenally well. 6.15 to 7 every day. Then 7 o'clock. We grew out of the base medrash already. There's no room. Baruch Hashem, more than 30 men every morning. 6.15 a.m. Incredible. We're learning every day. Kola Boker. It changes not only your day and your learning, it changes your davening. By the time you come to Shachras, you've already been talking to Hashem for 45 minutes. By the time you come to Shachras, you've already been remembering who He is and engaging and learning about Him. So you see this from our Pasuk, that first turn to the menorah, engage Torah, and then the Shalhevis of Tefillah will be Ole Me'eleha. But it's true even if you're davening at home. Many women who don't go to Minyan all week long. It's true even if you're not making it to the Kola Boker. Spend a couple of minutes. Open something. Challenge your mind. Learn some Torah. Recenter yourself in terms of who He is and why you're having this conversation. Why is He the one that you're turning to to ask? Because recentering through Torah will be enormously influential, impactful in then the quality of the tefillah that will follow. The Heilig Rav Nachman has a different interpretation. Says Rav Nachman of Breslov. The menorah of the Beis HaMikdash, the Mishkan of the Beis HaMikdash, is the symbol of Torah and Chachma. The seven branches of the menorah are the seven wisdoms of the world. Torah, of course, is the primary wisdom. That's the center branch of the menorah. But the other six branches are the other wisdoms that the Gra studied, the Gra was aware of and familiar with, science and mathematics. There are all kinds of wisdoms through which we access, according to the Rambam, we come to learn and thereby to love Hashem. And the menorah is that symbol of wisdom, the symbol of Torah.
And Rabbi Nachman writes in Likute Me'oron Chelak Aleph Semen Aleph, Ayadei Torah Meskabelos Kol Atfilos Habakoshel Shal Yisrael. Without Torah, Tfilah is inadequate. Without learning Torah, engaging Torah, living Torah, being curious about Torah, and you're all fulfilling this, being here at a parashashir, listening and watching and imbibing and absorbing the messages of Torah, that is the prerequisite to a meaningful tefillah. How does that work? Can't a person be an ignoramus? Can't a person choose to not challenge their intellectual approach? Don't learn, but daven. Daven sincerely and from the heart and shuckle and sway. Why are they connected? Because Torah says Reb Nachman in Lukutei Moharan, whoever doesn't learn Torah, if you don't learn Torah, the tefillah is not accepted. As the Pasuk says in Mishlei, Perach of Ches, Pasuk Tes, Mesir ozno mishmoa Torah, gam tefilaso to'eva. A person who removes their ear from hearing Torah. It's very intentional, the language of Mishlei, Shlomo Melach. Mesir ozno, you remove your ear. You don't want to hear, you know, I, I was raised, my father always taught me, it's one thing to not make it to a shear, but it's another thing to get up and walk out. And you see this phenomenon all the time, daily. Between Mincha and Marav, there's a Dvar Torah every day, six minutes later snippets or some other Dvar Torah. And there are the people after Mincha, get up and walk out. They'd rather schmooze in the lobby, they'll hop Marav, they'll come back in in a couple minutes. You see down Yontif where you have a long shear between a Mincha and a Marav. They get up, they walk out, they go schmooze, they even go learn in another room. It's one thing to not make it to the shear, it's another when you were there to get up and to walk out. Mesir Ozno Mishmoa Torah. Not interested, disconnected. Today, you don't have to physically get up and go out in order to check out. Today, if between Men Chamar, if you take out your phone and you think you're listening passively, but you're really scrolling and texting and you're checking what happened that day and you're checking your status and you're checking the stock market, checking what time the heat game is tonight, you're not really there. Physically, you may be present, but you're absent present because you're really on your phone. You're not really there. It's such a person who is invited and has the opportunity, who's already in the room when Torah is being proclaimed Torah is being shared, and their mesir ozno mishmoa Torah, shut one's ear from hearing Torah. Not interested, disconnected, distracted, literally walking out or metaphorically walking out. Gam tfilasa to'eva. The davening of such a person is repulsive to Hashem. So it means the marav, after you spent between mincha marav on your phone, is a to'eva to Hashem. Maybe we should post this in shuls everywhere. Kal yosel espal me'asher where does this come from? Says Rab Nachman, which is harder, to daven or to learn? It depends who you are. Different people have different inclinations. But on the whole, we know there are people who daven three times a day who barely ever open a sefer. Davening, you feel connected. I need to ask. I need to thank. I need to praise. I need to communicate. But learning is hard. Learning people struggle to relate to. Without it being on the foundation and against the backdrop of learning Torah, so the tefillah is lacking a value, it's lacking a context, it's lacking a credibility. How, how could I talk to you and have a relationship with you? I'm going to try to suggest what Rabbi Nachman means. It doesn't say it here in the Sefer. I would suggest maybe what he means is the following. How could I talk to you if I don't bother ever listening to you? If I'm never interested in hearing what you have to say, what's the value of my communication with you? Our davening is our talking to Hashem. Our learning Torah is Hashem talking to us. Whenever we open a sefer, whenever we go to a shir, whenever we want to hear what the divine message is for us, we're listening to Hashem. 
He's sharing his blueprint for creation. He's giving us his instruction manual for life. He's giving us insight into our own psyche, into relationships. He's telling us the prescription for life. And if you never open a safer, you never go to a shir, you're not interested in what he has to say, then what value is there in your talking to him? When asked, one of the pieces of advice I give, what to look for on dates, a young couple, they're in Shaduchim, I say, you know, does the other person only talk about themselves or do they have an interest and a genuine curiosity about you? Does the whole meal revolve around them? Do they monopolize the conversation? Are they offering everything about their life? Or do they ever stop and say, enough about me, tell me about you. Let me hear, where did you go this? And how was this? And what do you feel about this? And what, what's your hobby about that? If the person's not interested in you, what's the value of their communication? So if you never learn Torah, if you never want to hear what Hashem has to say, and all you want to do is talk to Him, I need this, I need that, I need the other thing. Thank you for giving me that yesterday. Please give me that again tomorrow. And Hashem says, can I get a word in here edgewise? Do you mind? Can I say something? Can I tell you about my needs, my wants? And no, not interested. I go on my phone between Melchamarov. I don't go to any shir. In fact, I walk out even when I was there and there's one being offered. So sorry, Hashem, no, you can't get a word in edgewise. I just want to talk to you about everything I need, but I'm not really interested in hearing what you have to say or about your needs. Such a tefillah is a to'eva, says the Pasuk in Mishlei. Not just that that tefillah is not the highest quality, that tefillah is in fact a to'eva. It's repulsive to Hashem. What does that have to do with anything here? There's a long Reb Nachman, but I'll skip to the end. This is the Pshat in the Pasuk. We take this from the Sefer Shulchan HaShabbos, Reb Nachman. The teachings of Reb Nachman applied to the Parsha. Daber el Aaron, hu atzadik hashemalo masakin is nishmas Yisrael, v'yamarte elav, v'ha'alos ches haneros, kasher atamala is nishmas Yisrael, shenim shalul haneros, elmu p'nei ha'menora ya'iru shivas haneros. When you want to elevate a yid, a Jew, when you want to lift, when you want to elevate, when you want to inspire, when you want to ignite the spark of a yid, of a Jew, where do you need to direct them? Where do you need to turn them? El mul menorah. Turn them to stop and listen to what Hashem has to say. Learn Torah. Engage Torah. Connect to Torah. And then it'll change your davening and your chesed and your relationships and your life. A yid, a man, a woman, every day needs to engage, needs to experience. Torah is the tavlin. Hashem created a yetzahara. We have all kinds of impulsive and compulsive behaviors, temptation, drive, desire. And what is the tavlin? What is the, what is the medicine? What is the antidote? It's, it's Torah. Torah gives us, it empowers us to navigate this complicated world. So Hashem says, stop talking for a minute and listen to me. Because if all you know how to do is talk and you never want to listen, we don't really have much of a conversation going on here at all. And in fact, all your talk is, is a to'eva to me. Because all you want to do is talk, you're not interested in listening. So where does it begin? Listening to Hashem. And once we listen, we say, now Hashem, we have something to share. We want to say thanks, want to say praise, and also want to share in with you our needs, because we're conceding, we're surrendering that you are in fact the source of being able to provide whatever it is that we, whatever it is that we need. Perachav Pasach Gimel. Perachav Pasach Gimel. So Aaron receives this instruction about how to light the menorah and the Torah tells us something. Vayas Kain Aaron. Aaron was told what to do and Taka, he did what he was told to do. El menorah He in fact lit the candles towards the candelabra. Exactly as Moshe had instructed. Hashem had instructed through Moshe. And we've alluded to, we've spoken a little bit about this in the past. 
the parsha is the same parsha. So much of the parsha we've always spoken about in the past. Each year we bring new ideas, new sources, and new perspectives for today. So much ink. Harbe dio nishtapru vahamon kumusim nishtabru. The Otsaplos Torah says much ink has spilled and much many quills have broken over the question of what is the Torah telling us that Vayas Kain Aaron, Aaron did what he was asked. That's a chiddush. He's Aaron a Kohen. He's Aaron a Kohen. To say Aaron did what he was commanded? Duh. Tell me something I don't know. He's Aaron. He's Aaron. Aaron and Moshe are the greatest of their generation. Of course he followed. And Rashi compounds it because Rashi says, Lahagid shvacho shal Aaron shaloshina. This is the praise of Aaron. He didn't deviate. He didn't distort. He didn't change. He followed what he was asked. And much ink has been spilled and many quills have been broken trying to evaluate and analyze what in the world is Rashi telling us. This is the praise of an Aaron, Shiloshina, that he didn't deviate or distort or change or pervert what Hashem had told him. Of course he didn't. He's Aaron. He's compliant. He's obedient. He's an Eved Hashem. That's the praise, Shiloshina. So we've shared in the past the beautiful insight. Shiloshina is not talking about the instruction or the command. What is Shiloshina? What didn't change? Aaron. Aaron was tapped for this position of distinction. Aaron was tasked with this incredibly prominent role. And you know what? Loshina. He remained the same humble, modest person. He got a title. He got prominence. He was a big influencer. He had a big stage. He had a big role. He had a big responsibility. And you know with all that? Loshina. He didn't change. He was the same Aaron, Oivis Abrius. He was the same person who loved people, who loved peace, who loved Torah, who was humble, who was modest, who was available. Loshina is not talking about he didn't change the command or how he fulfilled it. Loshina is he didn't change. Another interpretation of Loshina means first time he was asked to light those candles, how do you think he did it? He did it with passion and energy and enthusiasm and vigor. Ooh, this is his moment. He was jealous, Rashi also tells us. He was jealous at the end of last week's parasha, Lom why do we have the menorah right after the story of the Karbonos of the Nesim? The 12 princes who offered the exact same Karbon because Aaron looked at Hashem and he said, it's not fair to me. How come they bring to bring a Karbon and I don't? And what did Hashem say? I would have expected Hashem to say, what's the matter with you? What are you, two years old? It's not fair to you. It's not your job. Your job is your job. Their job is your job. What's, what's the problem? That's what I would expect Hashem to say. Stop crying. Don't be a crybaby. You get what you get and you don't get upset. Everybody gets their thing. It's not what Hashem says. What does Hashem say? Hmm. You're envious. You're jealous. You wonder where yours is. Don't worry, Aaron. Don't worry. You also get yours. You get to light the candelabria. Candelabria will do that in perpetuity. You light the menorah. It's a very interesting answer from Hashem. Instead of putting Aaron in his place, he seems to reward Aaron for his jealousy. We've spoken about that in the past. You could listen to a previous year to find out the answer to it. Shiloshina means he didn't lose his enthusiasm. He didn't lose his energy, his excitement. The millionth time he lit the menorah had the same energy, enthusiasm, and passion as the first time. So those two words, Shiloshina, he didn't change. Did he not change the commandment, how he fulfilled it? Did he not change his own attitude? Or did he not change what he brought to the mitzvah? His energy, all those we've shared in the past. But Otsar Torah quotes several others. Rabbi Yonas and Eipschitz, in his Teferis Yonasan, says the following, 
How tall was Aaron? Chazal tell us. He was 15 feet tall. Esar Amos. Is it meant literally? Is it meant metaphorically? He was tall. No growth hormone for Aaron. He was very tall. So he didn't need that step up. Remember I told you one of the interpretations of Rashi. Beha'aloscha is that there was a platform in front of the menorah. You could step up to the menorah to light it. Otherwise you'd have to reach. Did Aaron need that platform? No. Aaron was 10 amas tall. He could have reached it. Nevertheless, he stepped on the platform because that's what the Torah told us. And when he stood on that platform, he had to bend his head. Otherwise, he would have hit his head on the roof of the Mishkan. Says even though he didn't need the platform, he could have moved it out of the way, he stepped up onto it to not stand out. If all the other Kohanim would need to stand on it, he did too. Ah, it meant he had to bend his head. He was humble enough to bend his head when he needed to, but Loshina, he wasn't going to change or deviate from the way all the other Kohanim did it as well. So that's interpretation number four. That's new this year, Rabbi and Ayyemshitz, in his Teferis, Yehonasan. Tell you another one comes from the Otoplos HaTorah himself. He says, Aaron Akoin, how did he spend his day? Tennis? Golf? Mahjong? Lying by the pool reading a book? Pina Coladas? What did Aaron do with his time? He was busy. Oif Shalom, Rodev Shalom. He never retired. He didn't slow down. He didn't have hobbies. You know what Aaron Akoin's hobby was? Making peace between people. Oif Shalom, Rodev Shalom. Solving machlokas. Reuniting family members, friends, community. He was doing marriage counseling. He was doing mediation. He was bringing peace and harmony to the Jewish people. And when he wasn't busy doing that, you know what he was doing? Outreach, kiruv, putting tefillin on people. He was teaching them Torah. He was running partners in Torah. He's a pretty busy man. When you're involved and engaged in outreach, follow up. You want to come for Shabbos dinner. You want to meet at Starbucks and learn a little bit. To come partners in Torah, don't miss that night. Let's solve another machalokas. He was busy. He was running. So you might have thought, Aaron, he's running, he's doing noble things. So he'll delegate. He'll delegate the lighting of the menorah to somebody else. Or the menorah could take five minutes to light if you have a lot of kavana. It could take... 60 seconds to light, because you got to get back to Kiruv, and, and you got to get back to mediation. you got to get back to getting rid of Machlokas. But Aaron Loshina, he didn't change whatsoever. He had the capacity, unusual, difficult, that with a million things on your mind, and so much to do, noble, mitzvahs, righteous things, it's so hard to concentrate and be present for a mitzvah. But Lahagit Shvachosh Loshina, despite all that Aaron had in his mind, despite all that he had on his plate, despite all that he was doing, he was never distracted. He had the capacity to be present in whatever he was doing. When he was lighting the menorah, he was lighting the menorah. When he was doing kirov, he was doing kirov. When he was making peace, he was making peace. But they didn't overlap or infringe on the other activity. Whatever he was meant to be doing, he was fully present in that moment, doing that thing in that moment. The other night, the community welcomed the tzaddik of Avram Tzvi Kluger, if Kluger is a great Kabbalist, a great mystic, a great Tamachacham, he's a great Rebbe, 
in Beit Shemesh in Israel. Nezer Yisrael is the name of his base medrash. He's put out many, many, many svarim. Very, very special person. And he's here, and he spoke at the yeshiva in conjunction with the shul the other night. And there, he mentioned in passing that Rav Vosner in his tshuva, Shevet Alevi, tshuva Aleph, Chelek Zayin, Shevet Aleph, in the first tshuva of Chelek Zayin, Rav Vosner is asked from a rabbi who is so occupied and preoccupied with his avodas Hashem, with teaching and helping and supporting and inspiring others, he says, I can't concentrate in davening. I go to daven, and what happens when I go to daven? I go to daven and... I go to daven. Sorry, I've been on the wrong microphone. I go to daven and I'm distracted. I go to daven and I'm thinking about all the meetings I have, all the follow I have to do, all the people who are suffering and struggling, and I can't daven. Your question in Avodah Hashem was like cold water on a tired soul. I see that you're striving, that you want to elevate. And all of your doubts and all of your challenges are coming from a very holy and a very pure place. And even though I'm empty and I'm poor, maybe the fact that I'm a little bit older, and maybe I have a little bit more experience. Maybe I could approach your question. And he writes him a tshuva. He writes him a tshuva. And towards the end of the tshuva, he says the following. And I just heard this from Rav Kluger this week, and it reminded me of this insight of the Otsaplos Torah that Aaron Loshina, he never got tired. He never got overwhelmed. He never got distracted. He never wasn't able to, he never wasn't able to, to, uh, to concentrate. And any poter chas marbitzei Torah Says Rav Ozner, we cannot exempt those who teach Torah from davening. You have to assert yourself. You have to have the courage, the conviction, the resolve, the resiliency to do both. Be present, fully present with whatever you're meant to be doing. When you're giving a shear, give a shear. And when you're davening to Hashem, daven to Hashem. And don't stand during davening, flipping through the safer, preparing the shear. Find the ability to be present with whatever you're doing. As the Gemara in Shabbos Dav Yud says, But if it comes out, if it turns out, that because you're so overwhelmed and you're thinking about your beloved students and you are so devoted to them and you're concentrating on caring about them and all the follow-up you have to do with them and because of that you're distracted from davening, don't become despondent. Don't become depressed. Don't give up. So if the quality of your davening is not a 10 out of 10, if the quality of your davening is a 2 out of 10 because you're so distracted thinking about the yeshiva and you got to raise the money and you love your talmidim and you got to prepare this year, don't worry, that's still davening. That's still a davening. Don't become depressed, don't become despondent. But what's the goal? What's the ambition? Torah l'chud, utfila l'chud. And now you understand Rashi. L'hagit shvacho shal aron shaloshina. If Rav Vosna has to write this tshuva to a holy yid who's so distracted, and he says, I can't, my davening is suffering. I'm thinking about my shir, I'm thinking about my talmidim, I'm thinking about the money I have to raise. I can't. And Rav Vosna says, you can. So this is the shvach, this is the praise of an aron akoin, shaloshina. Shiloshina, that he was never distracted in the, in the process. Okay.
a lot more he has on this, as you can imagine. Okay, pause right there, but let's move on. Perachas pasuk yirchas. Turn the page. Consecration of the Leviim towards their holy work. And the Leviim take over for someone. The Leviim have a very significant role and very holy work. However, they were not originally designated for this holy work and for this holy task. Pasuk says, Perachas pasuk yirchas. Page 776. Sorry, I skipped. Which pasuk? Sorry, sorry. Ches yir ches, yeah. Ve'akach es levim tachas kol b'chor b'nei Yisrael. Hashem says, I take the levim, I designate the levim, in whose stead... Who should have been this designation? Who should have had this role? The Bechor, the firstborn. But Hashem took it from the firstborn and instead gave it to, to the Levim. What happened? What went wrong? Why was it withdrawn from one and given to the other? So the Cheskuni gives a very interesting reason. Cheskuni kosov tam nifla madua nifchor Levim tachas abachorim. And this is the language of the Cheskuni. The classic understanding is the Chet Egel. It's the mistake of the Chet Egel. The Bechor participated. They lost their designation. And the Levim, who did not participate in the Chet Egel, got it instead. But the Cheskuni gives a different reason. Listen to this Parsha perspective for today. Says so the Cheskuni, what would be the problem if the Bechor served in that role of the Levi, ran the Beis HaMikdash, contributed to the leadership of the Beis HaMikdash? What would be the problem? What is a Bechor? A Bechor is a firstborn. So just because someone had a firstborn son doesn't mean that they were a firstborn son. So what will that Bechor be lacking? What will they be missing? An example, a role model, a father who already is the precedent, sets the precedent. How could you serve if you don't have a parent who's a role model for the very service that's expected of you? And that would undermine the service, the quality of the service. That would undermine what they would, what they would do. And therefore, and therefore, Kodesh Baruch Hu took it from the Bechor and gave it to Levi. Because every Levi's father is a Levi. And the Levi's father's father is a Levi. And the Levi's son will be a Levi. So there'll be a transmission because there'll be an example. It's a very interesting, beautiful insight of the Chizkuni. The danger and the risk of leaving the leadership in the hands of the Bechor is that the, this Bechor's father might not be a Bechor. And then he won't have an example. You see this also in the Haftorah of last week's Parsha. Rav Schwab says, when the angel visits the wife of Manoach and says, your son's going to be a Nazir, no haircut, and so on. And then Eishas Manoach comes and reports it to Manoach. What does Manoach say? Nah, get the angel back. I want to hear it again. And then the angel comes back and simply repeats the exact same thing he once said. And now Manoach says, okay, we're good to go. So first of all, what kind of marriage was that? Manoach didn't trust Eishas Manoach. He had to have the angel come back. And moreover, the angel didn't add anything new. So why did Manoach accept it now? 
So Rav Shua brilliantly says, look at the Pasuk. He did say something a little bit different. When the angel comes back, he repeats and he says, Tishmor, all of these things, observe, safeguard, be careful. And says Rav Shua, that doesn't mean safeguard that your son is a Nazir. It means whatever you expect of your son, you need to keep first. What was Manoach saying to his wife? I want the angel to come back. Why? What Manoach was saying was, I'm supposed to have a son who's a Nazir. How? How will he be a Nazir? How will he know how? How will he know what to do? How will he have the conviction to continue to be a Nazir? So the angel comes back and says, I'll tell you how. You be a Nazir. You want your child to daven well? How do they see you daven? You want your child to love Shabbos? What do they hear are your feelings toward Shabbos? You want your child to have Amuna? Do they see you panic? Or do they see you living with Amuna? Whatever you expect and want in your child, you have to first exhibit. You have to practice first. And that's the reason the Cheskuni says, so much so that Kirish changed from the Bechor to the Levium because that inherently wouldn't be possible with Bechor. Not every Bechor's father was by definition a Bechor as well. Parshish Baloscha then continues with Pesach Sheni. Pesach Sheni. Page 778. Pasuk Aleph. Now fast forward. What happened? There were people. They were impure. Why? What was the source of their impurity? Why were they disqualified from participating in the original Pesach? So the Gemara records several positions. One, maybe they're carrying the bones of Yosef. Remember, Yosef made the Jews promise, don't leave me here in Mitzrayim. Take me out. Bury me in the Holy Land when you get there. Someone had to be carrying his bones. So those who were carrying Arunasha Yosef, those who were carrying Yosef's bones were impure. They were ineligible to have participated in the first Pesach. And now they are the ones who come and step up and complain and need the second. Others say it was a mace mitzvah. There was a Jew who died and there was no one to care for him, and they stepped up, and these were people who were Tamei Lenefesh because they, they cared for him, because they cared for him. Or, so these were Tamei Lenefesh, and they come, and they step forward to Moshe, we were disqualified from participating in the first Korban Pesach, but Lama Nigara, it's not fair to us, second time in the Parsha, first Aaron, Parsha begins with Aaron, not fair to me, and Hashem rewards him. I love that attitude, I love it. Not because I want you to be jealous and envious and overly competitive with your brothers, but I want you to be hungry. I want you to have drive. I want you to have ambition. I want you to feel you want a chance to stay up all night and learn with your father on Shavuos. You want a chance to go to shul. You want a chance to volunteer for chesed. Not fair to me. Not fair to me because you're hungry for some spiritual ambition. That's geschmack. That's gewaldic. That's fantastic. And now the second time, the people who precipitated those who were the catalyst for the whole holiday of Pesach Sheni, they said those iconic two words, Lama Nigara. Why should we be deprived? I ask you, if you were told, you don't have to keep Pesach this year, you're off. You're ineligible, you get a pass, you're disqualified, no hard feelings, you're good to go, no punishment, not your fault, take the year off, no Pesach. How many of us would be screaming from the rooftops, Lama Nigara! No way! Not fair to me! I want Pesach! No way! Lama Nigara, that attitude, Lama Nigara! 
I want to go to shul. I want to learn. I want to do chesed. I want to go on that trip. I want to make that difference. Lama nigara. Kaddish Baruch Hu applauds. He loves the attitude of Lama nigara. Aaron exhibited it at the beginning of the parsha, and now we have these holy Jews who exhibit it and who introduce, because of them, we are introduced to an entirely new mitzvah, Pesach Sheni. Turn the page. So Hashem, Moshe takes this to Hashem. It's above his pay grade, so to say. One of the areas of halacha that was schadish, that was novel and new. And Hashem gives him the answer. The Bible Yisrael Eimor, Ish, Ish, Ki Yetameh Lachem. If a Jew is in, ineligible to be part of the Korban Pesach because he's impure or because he's too far away, so then, in the second month, on the 14th day, you don't have to clean the house. You're allowed to have chametz. No four cups of wine. But it is matzah and moror, the carbon pesach, sheni. And it too, you can't leave it over until the, until the next night. So why is pesach sheni in ER? They didn't need a full month in order for those who were impure to become pure those who are too far away to get there. So why is it a whole month later, the 14th of Iyar, rather than the 14th of Nisan? Why is Pesach Sheni a month later? So the Balaturim writes, the reason is the following. When you, when you add a leap year, what do you add a month of? Adar. So it turns out that without the leap year, the 14th of Iyar would have been the 14th of Nisan. So, you see, Yeshaychas l'chodesh iyar im chodesh nisan. Those two months have an overlap. They have a connection. It's only with the introduction of a leap year that you pushed it off, but otherwise they could take up the same space, so to say. So when there's a delay for a Pesach Sheni, it dafka happens on in the month of iyar, in the month of iyar. The Yaivetz writes in his sitter, Tam Pesach Sheni shofa b'iyar gilu li min the reason that Pesach Sheni is an ER was revealed to me from the heavens. You know why? That's the date that we ran out of matzah from Egypt. When we left Egypt, we left with matzah, and that's when we ran out. So on Pesach Sheni, you have chametz and matzah. Now you're done with matzah. You've introduced chametz. You have chametz and matzah, just like you did the first Pesach in Mitzrayim. And that's why it's in ER, on the 14th of ER. That's when we ran out. That's when we ran out. That's what the Yavitz brings. Very interesting language. When he says, Gilu li min It was revealed to me for heaven. And that's all the Otzer Plos Toros needed to hear to then go on for pages and pages and pages of other examples of great rabbis who say, it was revealed to me from the heavens. How did I come upon this idea? How do I know this truth? It was revealed to me from the heavens, pages and pages. The Ravid and the Rambam writes, Hofia Ruach HaKodesh, Achronim, we talk about Maras Cholom, it was given to me in a dream. We have the Tshuvas Min HaShemayim, everything was revealed in a dream. The Beis Yosef, Rav Yosef Karo, the Shulchan Aruch, has the Magid, who used to come to him in his dreams. The Magid Min HaShemayim. Beis Yosef wrote a sefer, Megid me, the Magid Mesharim the answers to all those halachic questions that were revealed to him in his sleep, in a dream. And we have many others. Again, he goes on and on. Such a beautiful, he collects these great. Every time an Achron said, how did I know this? How did I stumble upon this? Yeah, it came in a dream. It came while I was asleep. 
It came while I was dozing off. It was revealed to me from the heavens. Very, very interesting. That's why Pesach Sheni is in the second month. Again, you could listen to previous Shurim, and we dived into the uh, Pesach Sheni much deeper. It's the month of second chances, the, the Yantif of second chances. Yantif of second chances. What's the connection to Yosef at Tzadik? Yosef gave his brothers a second chance. And that was the argument to Hashem. We're carrying the bones of Yosef. Yosef, the father of second chances, he gave his brothers a second chance. Hashem, give us a second chance. We, Lama Nigara, we also want to be able to bring the carbon, the carbon Pesach a lot more. Uvederech lo haya. Perak tes, pasuk yud gimel. Ha'isha asher tahor. Somebody who was holy, was pure. Uvederech lo haya. And was not on the road. V'chadal asos Pesach. They simply neglected to make Pesach. Do they also get a chance? Somebody says, I don't feel like it. I'm tahor. I'm close by. Well, not in the mood. The punishment is karis. Person neglected to bring the carbon in the right time. Such an individual bears their iniquity. They bear their sin. So listen to, listen to this incredible Rebekiva Eger. The lush on the language of the Pasuk was, what was the language of the Pasuk? Bederach lo haya. Bederach lo haya. So Rebekiva Eger, in Drusha V'chidush Rebekiva Eger on the Torah, he writes, Ha'isha shehu tahor u'vederach lo haya. Someone who is pure and who was not on the road. Nira lomar aderach melitza said Rebekiva Eger, you know what you can derive from here? Kesha adam yoshev bebeso hareyo mekayim kol ha-mitzvah's karoi. Aval kesha yotzi l'derach shuv eno mekayim ha-mitzvah's kitikunam. And where do you see this hinted to in the Pasuk? If you want to be pure, if you want to have a good routine, if you want to develop a good habit and pattern of how to live a righteous life, I got my minion, I got my dafyomi, I got my sleep pattern, I eat my healthy meals, I got my peloton, I got my exercise, I got my chavrusa, I spend my time with my family, I got all my routine. I've got all my parameters in place. I've got everything positioned to lead my best life. And then you go off on the road. I know people like this. I'm related to people like this. Such creatures of habit, all is amazing when they're on their home turf. And then they have to go off on the road and there's a panic kicks in. Wait, wait, where are we davening, Michal? Where are we going? What time is it going to be? How do I go for this? What do I do with this? How do I grind? How do I make my coffee? Where do I go? Vederach. So that's the, Rabbi Kiv Eger says, if you want to live your best self, Ha'isha Sheru Tahor, Bederach Lohaya. Now, some people have no choice. The business people have to travel. You travel for pleasure to see Hashem's world, to gain from it. But on the whole, don't always be running and going and frantic. It's very hard to fall into a healthy routine. It's a Gvaldik Rebekiva Eger. Ha'isha Sheru Tahor is the one who's Bederach Lohaya. Don't be running around. Don't be frantic. Don't be switching it up. Don't be on the move. Have a pattern, have a, have a perspective, have a, uh, have a strategy to live your best. Okay. Perak Yud, Pasuk Vav. Here we go. Next Perak, page 782. We have the trumpets. 
Kodesh Baruch Hu designed trumpets for us. They're used to call the people. They're used to call the Nesim. They're used to gather everyone. Last year we shared a great insight. Maybe we'll revisit it this year in another context. Every generation needs its own trumpets. The call for every generation is different. We develop a different language, a different vocabulary. The Torah is timeless, but how it's communicated needs to be able to land for each generation is different. The order for breaking the camp, Moshe invites, before we get to Mo, yeah, Moshe invites Yisro to remain. Moshe tells his father-in-law, Yisro, no, come with us. And be good to us. And Yisro says, I'm not going. Why? I gotta go home. I gotta go back to my hometown. I've got to go back to where I, where I come from. And now Moshe, Moshe, pleads with the Shver, don't leave, you can't go. I beg you, don't abandon us. You are our eyes, meaning you're an outsider. You're a Jew by choice. You elected to join us. You didn't have to. You weren't born into this. You're not obligated, and yet you chose to? Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. We want you to stay. We want you to stay. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. And what does Yisrael decide? What does Yisrael conclude? What does Yisrael conclude? Not sure. We don't know. Torah leaves it as open-ended. All of a sudden, now they're on the road. Was Moshe compelling? Did he convince him? Did it work? We don't know. Why does the Torah leave it ambiguous? Machlokas Rishonim. Did Yisro stay? Did Yisro go? We don't know. Very interesting. Very interesting. Now why was Yisro, why did he want to leave? Why did he want to leave? Why was he struggling with staying? So it's a plus, the Torah quotes something very interesting from the Svarno. Shilotizbol zikinasi ziknasi avir eretz acheretz umizono seha. Yisro says, I have to go home. El artzi you know why? I'm an old man, and I don't breathe well here, and I don't digest your food well. I've got to go home. So similar to the Rebekah Ega we just saw. A person does best in their natural habitat. That's where you do best. And Yisra was saying to him, it's been fun. I enjoyed it. I've appreciated the visit. But according to the Svarno, lo tizbos ziknasi, my old age can't bear your food and your air. These uh, Svarno, also explains the Pasuk in Divrei Yamim the same way. And we see the same attitude in the Sefer Yosifun. Otsaplos Torah quotes. Very interesting. The doctors say, that there are many people who can't drink the water where they go. They can only drink the tap water where they're from. Our tap water is the best. New Yorkers love to talk about their tap water. Our tap water is the best. But then you go, everybody knows you go to Israel, you better buy the Me'edin. If you're not there long enough to acclimate to the tap water, don't try it. You'll miss your whole trip. We'll leave it at that. Don't try it. So where does this come from? The notion that when you travel and you go somewhere new and then you have to now adjust to their diet, to their food, to their air, to their drink, to their water. Yisro, that's what Yisro's complaint was. I got to go home. It's been fun. I got to go home. LRT, Elmoladati. I need my chavrusa. I need my minion. I, gotta, I need my bed, I need my tap water, I gotta go home. Isn't that interesting? 
I found it interesting. Okay, let's keep going. Perk Yud, Pasuk Lamed Gimel. So we're left not knowing. Did Moshe persuade him? Did he not? Don't know. Why would the Torah leave it ambiguous? We've addressed that in the past as well. They travel from the Mount of Hashem three days, which is the Har Hashem, where they exit, where they leave, where they depart from. Sinai, Har Sinai. And Aaron Bris Hashem Nesilatnaim and the Aaron of the Bris Hashem, the Aaron journeyed before them three days distance to search out a resting place. And the cloud was over them during the day. As they journeyed and as they traveled, the cloud was over them during the during the day. Rav Druk, going back to Ishtamid, to Rav Druk. Rashir quotes, They went for three days, and the Aaron went three days ahead of them, and all of a sudden, Pasuk Laman, hey, what do we encounter? Normally we're used to text in the Torah, and all of a sudden we get not just text, we get the Nunin Hafuchim, upside down inverted Nuns. The Nun, that is a bracket, before and after the two psukim, Vaibn Sa'aron, the Pasuk we sing when we take the Torah out, Yomar, the Pasuk we sing or say when we put the Torah back. That are bracketed off these two psukim by the nun before and after. Why do we have these brackets? Says Rashi, Simonios, They don't belong here. These two psukim are out of place. So they're brackets to tell us they don't belong here. So if they don't really belong here chronologically or thematically, why are they inserted here? Why did Hashem edit His Torah to put them here if they don't belong here? Because two bad things happen, and it wouldn't look good to have two bad things in a row. We don't want the momentum. We don't want the poor impression of two bad things in a row. So we break it up. So we insert what doesn't belong here with brackets to break it up in order to interrupt the Puranos, one bad thing and the other bad thing. Great. Helpful? Useful? Good. Got it. What are the bad things? So the bad thing after the bracket, I got. What's the bad thing after the bracket? What happens now? A bunch of fabisan and miserable negative complainers. Some things haven't changed. They're about to become complainers and they're about to illegitimately complain. And Akash Baruch is about to wallop them. That's the Puranas afterwards. What's the Puranas before? Puranas Rishona says the Gemara Shabbos Kuftes Zayin. What's the Puranas before? Before I tell you the Gemara, just look at the Torah, look at the Pasuk. You have the parasha right open in front of you, page 786. The Art Scroll Stone Chumash. What's the Puranas before? All we did was just read about Conversation, Moshe and Yisrael, now it was time to leave. Three days, the Aaron went ahead of them. What's the Puranos that precedes it? Says the Gemara, Puranos Rishonav Aisumi Har Hashem, Amrabi Chama Brebi Chanina, Shesaru Meacharei Hashem. They didn't walk away from Harsinai the way we walk away from the Kotel, backwards. How'd they walk away? They ran. They ran away. They ran away. Says Rav Druk, This is a criticism of Klai Yisrael, that when they finally departed, they ran like a group of school children who are, ask kids right now, some of the schools are already done, others are in the last week. Every kid, 
from six years old to 16 years old knows exactly not how many days, how many hours are left to school. Every teacher knows how many hours are left to school. Every parent who drives carpool knows how many hours are left to school. And I promise you, believe me, when it's over, ketino kaboreach mi sefer. Nobody's walking out backwards. I'll miss you. I don't want to go. I love you. Why does it have to end? Nobody is walking out backwards. Why does it have to end? They run so fast. They are out of there so quickly. They're out of there like Vladimir. So, what's so wrong? How long were the Jewish people at Har Sinai? How long was that stay? They checked in for how long? Shana Shlema. They were there for a full year at Har Sinai. They were there either the 6th or 7th of Sivan in the first year until the 20th of Iyar in the second year. Sha'az Nasu. As the Pasuk says, So, are we really critical of the way they left when they were there for a full year? And moreover, says Rav Druk, And if they decided, we've had enough! I'm out of here! I can't take the water in this place anymore. I can't take the meals. I can't take the bed. I'm done. A year is enough. I gotta go home. Then we'd understand why it would be a legitimate criticism that they're running out. However, who told them to go? Hashem. How did he tell them? When the cloud lifted, when the trumpets blew, the message, the signal came from above, time to go. The ultimate travel agent, Kodesh Baruch Hu booked our next flight, the next leg of the flight. And he said, it's departure time. Let's go. So why are we critical of them? They're Boreach. Like a tinok mebeis hasefer, al kenir levar bezas. As Rav Druk, we can explain shevebes ain ekratayna al bnei Yisrael beatzem zeshenasu. The criticism is not that they departed. The criticism is not that they left. Ha'izaak v'rak api Hashem. That was the divine will. Ela ekratayna he bitzura sheba nasu me'ar Hashem. It was the way they left. It was the way they left. Because after Kriyas Yamsuf, the pasuk says, "Ve'isam Moshe Yisrael Yamsuf." And Rashi says, Hesiem ba Korcham. What happened? The Yamsuf split, and what washed up on the shore? All the silver and gold, all the chariots of the Egyptians who drowned in the Yamsuf, it washed up on the shore. And the Pasuk tells us, the Medrash tells us, the Jewish people were collecting it. These slaves, this slave nation, this slave mentality, they were sticking in their pockets and in the shirts and underneath and carrying however much they could take. By the way, what was, what was Moshe doing? Vayikach Moshe, Asmos Yosef. He wasn't collecting gold and jewelry and silver. What was he collecting? Not Atmos Yosef, but the Etzem of Yosef. He was collecting a Masorah, our Torah, our value. Meanwhile, what happens? Medrash tells us, it's time to go. Moshe goes to them and says, it's time to go. They say, just one more minute. Just two more minutes. Just five more minutes. Can't go. I have just I have more room in my pockets. I can stick more things under my shirt. I have more things I can take. The CEO of Lululemon was there encouraging them. Take as much as you can. Go, enjoy. They were sticking it all in. They were running as much as they could. As much as they could. Just two more minutes, five more minutes. So just let, it's a couple more things. And Moshe has to drag them out of there. Says Rav Druk, it was the contrast of the way that they had to be dragged away from Yamsuf. And Moshe didn't even get the words out of his mouth. It's time to go from Arsini. Okay, we're out of here. We're done. We're good. We're gone. And the contrast 
of the hesitation and the delay, and they're holding on, and give us a few more minutes when it came to Yamsuf, with the contrast of, we're out of here like Vladimir. We can't go quickly enough, like Etina Kaboreach Mibesa Sefer, that they ran, that they ran out of there. And that's the attitude that we have to have. You know, davening's over, oh, I wish it were still going on. The Seder, the Shir is over, I wish it were a few more minutes. Even when we're going to the next noble deed, and even when it comes from above, from Hashem, that there's the next task at hand. But when it comes to holy things, we should want to hold on. And when it comes to unholy things and the experiences, material ones, that's when we should be ready to go. So it could be perfectly legitimate to have to pivot or transition or go on to the next step of our journey in life, but the attitude we bring to it. Where do we delay and wish we could stay longer? And where do we run out of so fast? Because that says everything about our priorities and it says so much about who we are, says Rav Jeruk. Vahibin so Aron, the second pasuk in these two pesukim, Vahibin so Aron, and it was when the Aron traveled. And Uvenucha uh, Yomar, sorry, when the Aron traveled, what did Moshe say? He didn't just travel. When the Aron traveled, which meant the people traveled, so Vayomer Moshe, Moshe said, Kum Hashem, Rise up Hashem and scatter the enemies, let those who hate you run away from you. So what happened when the Aaron would journey and the people would journey, what would Moshe do? He offered a, a tefillah, and the Das HaKenim in Baliatosu says, Zui tefillah saderach shalahem. This is the original tefillah saderach. You're about to set on a journey, you're about to go, you don't want to encounter an enemy, the enemy could be the Canaanites, the enemy can be the Popo, the enemy can be the don't get pulled over, don't have a flat tire, don't get in an accident, don't be robbed on the side of the road. And the Chizkuni writes similarly. Rav Sadjigon says, Vayibin Sawa, Hayanoeg Shibin Sawa Ron, Moshe would say, Hayana Hashem Ba'azrenu Uvinitzchoneinu. He offered a real Tfilas Haderach. And the Tfilas Haderach weren't only these words, Kum Hashem Be'afutsu Aivecha, there was a full Tfilas Haderach that was said. And it's brought down that this is the origin of Tfilah Saderach. There's a whole discussion. Who instituted Tfilah Saderach? When you travel and you journey outside of the city limits and to a place that's dangerous, when do you say Tfilah Saderach? When you fly, when do you say it? In the airport? When you get to your seat? When the plane starts to accelerate in the runway? When the first wheel lifts off? It's a big machlokas exactly when to say Tfilah Saderach. But we offer a Tfilah. We offer a prayer that our journey be smooth, and be safe, and that we arrive at our destination. And who's the one who instituted it? Where did it come from? So, the Avnei Shoam says, from this Baleatosos, Shamati b'shem gadol v'kadosh tzadik yisod olam, Moshe Rabbeinu tikein tefilas haderach. You see, and where did Moshe Rabbeinu, where was he misakin it? Vayomer Moshe, kumu Hashem ve'afutsu ve'echa. This is where he was misakin it. This is where tefilas haderach comes from. This is where it originates. Vayi'am kemesonim. Next Pasuk miserable, frabissina, negative, incorrigible, complaining people. And Hashem is very strong with them. Hashem is very strong with His people. And there are a lot of questions on this section. We'll end with this. A lot of troubling details. What exactly are they complaining about? If you read this Psukim, they're saying something's bad in the ears of Hashem. Hashem hears them. But what was the complaint? It's too cold, it's too hot, not enough food, too much food, too spicy, too sweet. Too much milchiks, too much kale. What was the complaint? What was the complaint? 
And, and we, we know they complain there's no meat. Says Rashi, how could they say there's no meat? The Erev Rav left Mitzrayim with cattle. Tribes of Reuven and God, when it's time to go into Israel, say, let us stay east of the Yard and we have so much cattle, we have enough flesh, we have so much meat, we don't know what to do. So how could they say now we have no meat? What's really bothering them? And how do they conclude their complaint? Nafshenu yevesha einko. Our life, our soul is parched, it's dry, it's wilted. If you're in the mood for a good steak, you say, my soul is wilted and dry. You say, my stomach is empty. I'm starving. I crave steak. What does it have to do with the dryness of your soul? And how does Moshe react? He, Moshe reacts so harshly, so severely. They've complained, they've rebelled, Moshe could deal with it. Here, he can't deal with it anymore. What's really going on? So perhaps, we'll close with this, perhaps the answer to this question can be found in appreciating the grammar of this word. I don't want you to get allergic reaction here. Diktuk. But the grammar is the following. In Hebrew, when wanting to describe an action, a verb, we normally use what form? The PL form. Misononym. Misononym uses a different form. Which form is misononym? It's not PL. What is it? Hitpael. What's Hitpael? It's the reflexive form. PL is the active form. I do. A verb. Hitpael is I do to myself. It's reflexive. It's something a person does to themselves. So maybe what the Torah is telling us by using this form of the verb, they turn themselves into complainers. It's not that they were happy people who had a legitimate constructive criticism. They transformed themselves into miserable, unhappy, hypercritical people. And that is intolerable. That that is a cancer that metastasizes. That is a danger. It wasn't happy-go-lucky, appreciative people who had a constructive feedback. Kimis onanim, they turned themselves into a group of miserable, farbisana, cynical, pessimistic, hypercritical people. So they mentioned meat, but meat's not really their complaint. Meat is just conveniently how they put forth their complaint right now but they claim complain before, they'll complain later. Their entire mahus is to complain. They walk in a room, something's wrong. They wake up in the morning, someone's wrong. They'll figure out what it is. So for right now, it's the meat. Soon it'll be the AC, the thermostat, then it will be the... They'll find the complaint. But if you wake up and you're a complainer before your day even began, you'll figure out what to complain about, but you're a complainer. The Torah has a lot of tolerance for complaints. I'm imperfect, the shul's imperfect. There's a lot that we need to work on. We, we welcome, we invite constructive criticism, suggestions, ideas, solutions. We don't welcome complainers. So if you're a happy, appreciative person with a context and a perspective who has something legitimate to share, share it. But if you become a complainer, ooh, that's toxic, that's poisonous. The more of Hashemesh says, what's the root of the word misononim? The root of the word is onain is onain. What's an onain? In between death and burial, before you become an avel, a mourner, a person is an onain. Why is the word misononim from the word onain? Because the person made themselves sad and down and grieving and mourning over 
the thermostat, or the brand of the tuna fish at Shalashiris, or something more significant, but still. I wrote an article last week about my JetBlue flight, where the woman next to me, because her TV didn't work, screamed, nothing's working. The flight attendant said, nothing's working? The plane is working, and that's the most important thing. And that was the message for us. Even when my knee, my hip, uh, the Wi-Fi, the, it's not working the way I want, but is my heart still beating? And my lungs, am I still breathing? The main thing is still working? Don't be a complainer. Go fix your knee, fix your hip, fix the AC, fix the Wi-Fi. But have a perspective, have a context. Don't be a misonanim, don't be an onain. You're grieving, you're mourning, you're crying, you're sad because the TV is not working, you're acting like you lost a loved one? Are you crazy? Kimisonanim? We too fall prey to that sometimes when we choose sadness over happiness. The Zohar says, choosing sadness over happiness is a form of avodah Choosing sadness over happiness. Don't be an onain. Don't grieve and mourn and make yourself someone sad over something, over something which is fixable, over something which has a solution to it. Don't be somebody who's miserable. Look what's right, not what's wrong. A lot more to say about this and about the Parsha as a whole. We'll end here tomorrow morning. We continue with 10 minutes of meaning, living on the moon at regular times. Tomorrow night, we go behind the beam. Elisa Elephant, the founder of Adapta Shadchan. Very interesting. A person who's exhibited a lot of faith in recent times, suffered a lot of loss, the loss, tragic loss of her son. We'll speak to her tomorrow night behind the beam. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.